welcome to the second episode of the One in Four podcast, a podcast that seeks to humanize, educate, and elevate conversations around the reentry process of the formerly incarcerated. My name is Tim Nicholson, and I'm one of your co-hosts for this podcast. In this episode, we stay focused on the topic of employment, but look at the specific challenges that women face when they come out of prison or jail, which can make landing a job even harder. Over the last 25 years, the number of incarcerated women has increased by more than 700%. Though many more men are in prison than women, the rate of growth for female imprisonment has been twice as high as that of men since 1980. This is primarily the result of stiffer drug sentencing laws and post-conviction barriers to re-entry that uniquely affect women. According to the Sentencing Project, more than 60% of women in state prisons have a child under the age of 18. There is also a large number of women who are mothers that are locked up in local jails. One of the primary concerns incarcerated mothers have when they complete their sentence is how to re-establish a healthy relationship with their children. Other re-entry challenges faced by incarcerated women have to do with addiction and mental health problems. Data from across the United States tells us that many incarcerated women struggle with these issues, often as a result of physical and sexual abuse that started in their childhood and carried into adulthood. Re-entry programs need to address these traumas. So today, I have the privilege to introduce you to Together We Bake, a small nonprofit organization that offers workforce development and personal training for women in need of a second chance. The interviews in this episode are brought to you by my co-host, Bea Spadaccini. Together We Bake was founded in 2012 by Stephanie Wright and Tricia Sabatini in the city of Alexandria in Virginia. Stephanie is a trained social worker, while Tricia has a bachelor degree in psychology. The two women met through school, through their children, and became running partners. Together, they coach Girls on the Run, a nationwide running program that seeks to empower young girls and build their confidence. As their friendship grew, Trish and Stephanie shared a desire to help women in need in their community, specifically homeless women and those coming out of the criminal justice system. It wasn't too long after that that Together We Bake was conceived. A few years later, they were joined by Elizabeth Bennett, founder of Fruit Cycle, a local social enterprise focused on reducing food waste and raising awareness about the hunger problem in the United States. The company makes locally sourced fruit snacks. She too wanted to work with women who faced barriers to employment. I was trying to fight the the fact that we waste 40% of our food while one in six Americans are hungry, which is why I was interested in working with women with barriers to employment, because obviously they're more likely to be hungry. So I actually found Together We Bake Online. I was just doing, you know, Google searches for organizations that worked with women, came across them, thought it sounded like a great program, because among other things, the women would come out with their Serve Safe certificate, which is a required for any sort of food service establishment or food company to have people on staff with that skill and training around food safety. So I knew that would be a huge benefit to my company. When I met Elizabeth, she was running for a seat on the Alexandria City Council. Not long after this interview took place, Bennett was elected vice mayor of the city of Alexandria in Virginia. She told me that the merger between Fruit Cycle and Together We Bake came about naturally and was a great fit because they shared the same vision and mission. I hired my first employee, Elaine, through Together We Bake, and she was a wonderful employee. 
actually I worked in a shared kitchen space with other businesses and everyone else was kind of jealous of me because Elaine was such a great employee and they wished uh, they had someone like her. Then uh, a few employees later, I realized that we were actually doing very similar things. We were trying to help women. We were making food. We were selling it to places like Whole Foods um, and that maybe we could actually help more women together. You know, I was doing it by myself with Elaine and a couple other employees. Stephanie and Trisha were running Together We Bake and that maybe there were economies of scale and other benefits that had come from actually joining forces and putting all of our efforts together. Together We Bake runs four sessions per year. Winter, spring, summer, and fall. Each session is eight weeks long, except for the summer session, which is shorter and only lasts six weeks. Classes are three mornings per week, and there are, on average, 40 women who graduate every year. One part of the program focuses on learning about food production, food safety, food administration, and everything related to the food business. Through the program, the women also obtain a Surf Safe certificate, which is an important asset to have in the food industry. One afternoon, I attended a baking class at Together We Bake. The women were all in the kitchen with their aprons on, ready to learn. A master chef was teaching the ladies how to make chocolate-covered toffee crunch with matzo crackers. Okay, so the next thing we're going to do, ladies, is we're going to use the matzos to line our pans. Does anybody know what... Has anyone had matzah before? Do you know yes. what this is? A Jewish cracker. No. Yeah, it's unleavened yes. bread. I don't know. Okay, so it's unleavened bread, and it actually has a lot of biblical and religious significance. Yeah. It's from Exodus when the Jews fled Egypt, and they didn't have enough time to uh, leave with leavened bread, because, you know, leavened bread has yeast and has got to rise and everything. So they didn't have time to do that. They had to go to the desert. So this is a symbol of freedom and... Um, religion for the for the Jews because they didn't have time for the for the yeast, right? So basically, it's like crackers, like saltines, you know, for us. So we're going to line um, our our pans with this. All right. The other thing about um, the the matzah is it's very uh, traditional in the the Passover um, uh, holiday for Jews. This is when they you know to celebrate them leaving Egypt. So they eat a pea, they always have the matzah, and then at the very end of the meal, they have a small piece of matzah, supposed to be the size of an olive. And it has a special name, I think it's Afi, Afi Komets or something. And uh, everybody eats a small piece, and it symbolizes rebirth and democracy and freedom and salvation. So a little cracker, a lot of meaning, right? Is this a hard recipe? Not at all. It takes like 15 minutes in the oven, and the, the uh, results are spectacular. You're going to have some, right? <laughs> it's got a few little tricky things, but it's not bad. I just love it because there's no candy thermometer, and anybody can make it. You know, most of the ingredients are in your already in your um, in your in your uh, pantry. If you don't have matzah, you can use saltines, and that's fine. The matzah are a bit bigger. So. Yes, yeah, much easier. Much easier. <laughs> the other components of the program focus on empowerment and life skills classes to help women develop self-confidence, healthy coping strategies, and a strong support network as they move towards self-sufficiency. The women graduate job-ready and with a greater sense of self and of possibility.
Our empowerment groups are based on a curriculum around a book called Houses of Healing, which we give to every woman and we sort of discuss during empowerment groups. And there we have different topics. So one day, I think yesterday, was actually talking about anger. Uh, we'll talk about trauma. We'll talk about triggers. We'll talk about communication styles, which is a little bit separate, but still an important skill to understand that not everyone communicates the same way and how to work with different types of people. So there's different topics, but I think it's really about helping develop self-confidence, helping develop a strong support network, helping develop healthy coping mechanisms. So a lot of the women coming through our program haven't necessarily had someone believe in them before. So it's just a really important part of the program, I think. In a lot of ways, it's almost more important than some of the job training skills that we do. And we'll have women come in who say, you know, that they don't really trust other women at the beginning just because of, you know, their life experiences and what's happened to them. And I think by the end, you know, the the cohort has really sort of formed a, a sisterhood. The importance of having women come together in a safe space to learn new skills, but also to build a support network and learn to trust one another again is extremely important. This clearly came across at a Together We Bake graduation ceremony that I attended. Together We Bake taught me a lot of different things, but the biggest thing that it taught me is how to really work as a team, and not just as a team to get a task done, but a team that helps each other grow by sharpening each other. Mm -hmm. Iron sharpens iron, and we have um, all been through some major changes these past six weeks. And there hasn't been one time that I wasn't able to walk in and get exactly what I needed before I had to go back to the guest house. Uh, The other morning I walked in and me and Dana went in the chapel and prayed. So I definitely want to say thank you to the church um, for providing this this wonderful place for us to not only learn, but to to worship. You know, um, it's been a safe haven and it's absolutely amazing. Definitely want to thank Stephanie, Trish, Elizabeth, Liz, and Polita because without them this wouldn't happen. Hey Trish. One of the women I met at Together We Bake graduation is Khadija Clifton. For the record, I've stayed in touch with Khadija since then and got to know her a little bit. She's now one of the advisors to the One in Four podcast and will bring you stories in the future. This is what she shared on her graduation day at Together We Bake. Thank you, everybody, that just made this day possible. This is actually my third consecutive graduation in a row. Starting in 2016, I was... Um, at a high school graduation in prison. Um, And from there, I did a re-entry class, and now I am here. And so that just goes to show nothing stopping you but you. You have to keep persevering. Um, I brought a little display, (laughs) guys, um, because I felt like I wanted to share my story with you all today. Being around these women, To all the leaders and the people that made this possible, thank you from the bottom of my heart because it takes a certain level of compassion to be able to help people like this, like us, um, and and to be dedicated and patient to to help us develop. So thank you guys. I found so much unity here and it it brought to my attention that we are indeed stronger in numbers than we are apart. Um, Superwoman. I feel like every single woman in this room is superwoman right now. Um, Right here I have fear, forget everything and run, or face everything and rise. The choice is yours. I have everything you want is on the other side of fear, and I was nervous about doing this, and my daughter told me, Mommy, if it makes you scared, you need to do it even more. So she has the right idea. Um, 
I have an eight-year-old daughter, Ariel, right here. Ariel, turn around, say hi. And this was literally our first time all together after I came home, and it looks like we never left off. Like my love for you is unconditional. You know that, right? Um, this is like my personality. I, I have a young mom, but it doesn't stop anything. You know, taking on a mother role is something I never thought I'd be able to do, but I'm doing it, and I want a better future for my kids. Giving your child a healthy start in life. I feel like everyone deserves an opportunity, you know, to live up to their greatest potential, even if that opportunity is later in life. Some of the women who work at Together We Bake have graduated from the program and now lead portions of the program. The organization recruits women in different ways and, of course, also through word of mouth. We've hired, I think, four of our own graduates to actually help um, here at Together We Bake. So two of them, Kalita and Liz, actually help run the program. They run the training in the kitchen. Um, Kalita runs the Serve Safe classes. Liz co-leads the empowerment groups. Um, they do farmers markets and other events for us along with our other uh, employees. And then in terms of how we recruit and the requirements for the program, we work with a variety of other nonprofits and agencies in the area. So we work with halfway houses, we work with homeless shelters, we work with nonprofits in the housing space. Uh, we work with our local um, Association of Public Housing here in Alexandria. We've actually had women refer their friends and sisters and cousins to the program, which I think is a really strong testament as well. In terms of the requirements, um, we have women fill out an application and they come in for an interview, but we consider ourselves to be very low barrier. So as long as someone wants to do the program and is physically capable of standing in the kitchen for the few hours that we're there, um, you know, they're pretty much accepted into the program. But we do also uh, require that people are clean and sober, but we don't have any stringent tests or other sort of hurdles to jump over because we really want to give opportunity to anyone who wants it. Together We Bake sells its baking goods online, but also through many local shops, farmers markets, and retail chains. Partnerships are one of the reasons why Together We Bake has been so successful in finding sponsors, distributing its products, and helping women get jobs. The organization partners with small local employers such as the Alexandria Pastry Shop and Great Harvest Bakery, but also with some big retail chains like Whole Foods, Chipotle, Costco, CVS and Giant, just to name a few. They also partner with local authorities like the Office of the Sheriff because successful graduates are more likely to be productive citizens and not a public safety concern. Dana Lawhorn, the sheriff of Alexandria, was a speaker at the graduation I attended and had an important message to deliver to the women. Congratulations to each and every one of you. Um, some ask, why is the sheriff here? I oversee a detention center of about a 425 on average daily population. Um, we have on average around 16 uh, females, which is rather low. And, uh, but Stephanie uh, came to me one day, or we were introduced, and said she would like to partner with us, and uh, we did. And so uh, they come in quite often and, and, and talk to uh, the female population about coming to Together We Bake, and uh, does uh, some other things for us and mentoring. So uh, it's a great partnership. Uh, thank you so much for uh, introducing the idea to us, and uh, we're glad to partner with you. Do not underestimate the value of being a coach, a mentor, 
or just a supporter. Because it's huge. It's huge. To me, I believe, I truly believe that the path to anyone is through you and those who help through programs, through opportunities, through people who support you, especially family. Yes. Because you can't do it by yourself. You can't. And speaking from experience, I know what addiction does to families. I know what addiction can do to a family. I was not an addict, but my parents were. My dad was a nice guy, and when he drank, he was a nicer guy. My mom was a nice lady, but when she drank, she was a totally different person. I wanted my mom to get sober and stop. I just wanted a little normalcy, which is really what everybody wants. But I look back, and I just wish that my mom could have come down here and met Stephanie or met you or met any of you or found somebody in her life because she did not have that. She did not have that. She, she just met somebody in her life that could have changed something which would have had a whole impact, a whole effect on a whole lot of people. I got four siblings. And it didn't happen. So thank God. Thank God that things, the people talk about the good old days, and, uh, and I'm like, yeah, them good old days weren't so good. Uh, thank goodness for progress. Thank goodness for, for opportunities that you have. As the sheriff mentioned, mentoring and support are critical, not only during the course of a program, but also afterward. The majority of the women that go through Together We Bake are from Virginia. However, the organization serves the greater D.C. metro area. Therefore, not all the women maintain the friendships that they've made throughout the program. It's not easy to nurture them. I asked Elizabeth, what happens when the women graduate? Is there a way that can stay connected? How does the program help them stay connected? What do they offer the women? So we have a number of uh paths in place for after graduation. During the program, we pair each woman with a job counselor who works one-on-one on things like resume writing and interview skills, actually searching for jobs and applying to jobs online. And we ask the job counselors to stay in touch with um, their graduate for at least a year after graduation, just sort of checking in, making sure everything's going okay, the job's going well, or if they're still looking, you know, how they can sort of help support that process. Then here at Together We Bake, we have um, graduate dinners every other month where we bring the graduates back or everyone's invited to come back for dinner and some sort of activity, whether that's educational or fun, it depends. And so that's an opportunity for women to come back. And then we also, we do our best to stay in touch. So we, each staff member here has sort of a caseload of women um, who we have a relationship with and we're responsible for sort of checking in with them on a regular basis, inviting them to that grad dinner once we have that date, things like that. And then we've also found a great success in sort of setting up uh, Facebook groups for each class. Um, so that way they're able to sort of communicate amongst each other and with us as necessary, and that sort of keeps those bonds going. Can you tell me a little bit about the recidivism rate? You have a pretty low recidivism rate compared to the national average. How are you able to have such low recidivism? So our recidivism rate is around 8%, and I think um, that's 
speaks to the strength of the program and also the fact that there is a program and that we are providing supports and and services. Um, and I guess not all of our women have necessarily uh, been through the criminal justice system. We also work with women who are homeless, women who've recently immigrated or are facing other adverse challenges. But amongst women who have been through the criminal justice system, our recidivism rate is 8%. And I think that speaks to the support that we offer here, you know, again, as we were talking about post-program as well. And also, um, you know, helping women get a job is incredibly important to recidivism. You know, if you if you have a job and you have income and you have a strong support network, it's just a lot easier to, I think, um, keep moving forward. Is is your experience in working with women formerly incarcerated, do they face different barriers when they come out compared to men? Two things come to mind. Um, so first, obviously, are, a lot of our women are mothers and a lot of them are single mothers. So that is a challenge Um certainly while they're incarcerated and then again upon return, you know, that reunification can sometimes be difficult. You know, we had a woman who came through our program um, and she had been arrested at the age of 18 while pregnant. And so she had actually been separated from her son for the first seven years of his life, you know, and then, you know, is obviously now very happy to be back with him, but that's just a difficult transition. And then you know, childcare is ob an obvious <laughs> challenge as well. And I think the other thing, and this certainly um, stems from that story I was just sharing as well, is that uh, a high number of our women have experienced some form of trauma or abuse. And so I think that has, you know, sort of lasting effects. And that's a lot of the work that we do here in some of the empowerment groups as well, is just moving forward from that trauma. You know, the woman I mentioned who was arrested while 18, you know, she left her house at the age of 14 because she was in an abusive household and wound up on the streets. As a mother who found out that she was pregnant with her second child while in jail, Khadija has a unique story to share with us about that particular experience and the challenge of coming home to children who were raised by relatives while she was incarcerated. In some states, women are shackled while being transferred to the hospital and even in their beds while giving birth, making labor and childbirth even more challenging. Even though this did not happen to Khadija, her experience was nevertheless a hard one. I found out I was pregnant um, during the processing period, so I ended up eventually spending most of my pregnancy in the county jail until I was able to bond out to have him. But during those months, um, it was really hard. It was really tough. I, I remember specifically just wanting a nice, comfortable place to sit versus just like plastic chairs and, and stools with no back support. I'm pregnant. You know, I'm like, I'm, I'm just like seriously pregnant. And then there was the food, of course, and then lack of it. Because if you're if you're there, you have limited amount of stuff on a commissary that you can order if you get commissary. And then, you know, you you get a tray of food. You get three meals a day, you know, and and that's just not enough. If you're if you're pregnant, it was different challenges from that to doctor's appointments for like the first trimester. I was seeing the nurse there. And the most medical attention I got was just blood work. And when I would say things like, what about the baby? Like, what about the sonogram? And they said, oh, you'll get a sonogram when you're 20 weeks. When I got my first sonogram was when I found out I was having a son. And it was just very emotional. I was getting transported to 
the medical facilities in handcuffs cuffed in front of me. I was accompanied by two armed sheriffs going to doctor appointments when I was pregnant. Luckily, there were some people who tried to make it comforting, but it just doesn't add into the fact that even during the exams, there's a CO sitting in the room in the corner. CO stands for correctional officer? Yes. There were COs, like, you know, like that's that's your that's almost like your baby father and you know, or or that person that you would have in a traditional setting. It was invasive and um it wasn't fun at all. According to the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, 80% of women in jail are mothers, and most of them are the primary caretakers. Children of incarcerated parents are often raised by other members of the family or placed in the foster care system. As a result, they can experience severe feelings of isolation, loneliness, and trauma. Prison visits can also be emotionally difficult. Depending on the facility, children may not be allowed to hug their parents or can only do so at the end of a visit. For many incarcerated parents, having a child gives them a purpose to make it through the system and do better when they come out. When I was in, that was what kept me going. You know, like I was in a program that was called baby bonding. And it was like if you had children that were, I think, under three, once a month, you will be allowed to go into a room that was set up like a little, like a daycare. And you could have contact visits with your child. Right. So this was an opportunity for me to hug, touch, smell, you know, and just feel my baby that besides those moments, he's just a thought. Like, you know, he's just a memory that I hold on to. He's a picture that I hold in my cell. He's a voice that I listen to through the phone. But if I did what I was supposed to do, I could hold him at the end of the month. And that's that's definitely what kept me grounded. Were you able to see your daughter frequently when you were in jail and then in prison? When I was away in sentencing, you actually can't have visits from your kids until you get sentenced in the county jail. So I wasn't able to see her. I didn't even get to see her until I went up the road and was in prison. And even then, me and her dad decided that that technically wasn't the best thing for her because the first time that I did see her, she was not understanding why I couldn't walk out that door and come with her. Like, she was probably six at the time, and it was just, like, really confusing to her. There weren't, like, many programs that were um, involved for... I guess, children her age, like to, to kind of, you know, make it a more normalized experience. So we just had a traditional visit where it's like two tables in between me and her. And she's looking at me and I'm looking at her and we can't touch each other. And we're in this room and she didn't understand that. And it was hard for me to explain it to her. But keeping hope alive, I just let her know that I would be coming home to her and my son soon. So, Khadija, how was the reunification with your children when you completed your sentence and came out of prison? Can you share with us? The reunification process, <clears throat> that's, that's a tough one. We, even, even now that it's been a, almost two years, it's still, it's still very struggling. Because with my, with my daughter, I left. So I, I left out of her life. And with my son... I technically was never there. So I'm just now being introduced into his life and he knows 
my parents. So it was definitely challenging and still is till this day. And it, it takes a lot of support and a lot of will to want to restore those relationships and, and to build trust. Because with my daughter, she's a little older, so I have to rebuild her trust. I left her, you know? That's, that's the best thing that, that I can think to say. I left her. And there was no explaining it to a point where she could understand it. Someone once told me, you can never really tell a child much. You just have to show them. You know, you just have to be there and you have to, like, I couldn't tell her I was her mom, you know, because her dad had entered a relationship with someone else and she addressed her as mom. So it was like, I couldn't just keep telling her. I just had to show her. I just had to show up and just be a mom. And so that's what I did. And with my son, just learning him and loving him, that's the way I proceeded it. I just jumped in there and started being his mom and tried to gain his trust. And it, and it was challenging because, like I said, all he knew was my mother. And so there was a, there's a lot of times where like he would choose her over me and it would just be devastating. It was devastating to me. Um, and, and if you don't have the proper support and... And, like, the people aren't encouraging the relationship between yourself and a child. It can be detrimental. What has helped you the most since you've been back? The thing that has helped me the most and that still is helping me is support through people who care. People that know how to support you and your needs. That's what I'll say. I've met people that meet me where I'm at. And that's like the best support that I can have. What does that mean? Tell me. What does it mean to meet people where they are? It just means basically without judgment, without expectation, just just accepting someone for where they are and preferably, you know, where they want to go. Because being in the now, that's what matters. So someone who will look at you where you are right now, And see you for that, not where you're coming from. Yeah, you're coming from prison. That's all fine and good. But you're, what brings you here today? You're here now. So you obviously want, you want something better for yourself. And so that's how I'm going to acknowledge you. I'm not going to acknowledge you from all your mistakes. And, you know, you're greater than the biggest mistake that you've ever made. So that takes a certain level of compassion to me. And it takes a certain level of understanding. And, and I think a lot of people feel judged. I know I carry a lot of guilt from, you know, my incarceration and the people that it's affected. So I think for someone to just meet you where you are, the possibilities are limitless. I asked Khadija to tell us why people should care about the reentry of the formerly incarcerated into mainstream society. And this is what she had to say. The fact that it's one in four alone lets you know that you are clo you're more closely affected than what you think whether it be your coworker the little kid at your school you know the kid that goes to your kid's school guess what one of their parents are locked up or you know that person that you cursed out because they couldn't get your order right they they just did 15 years they're just now learning this system you know when people look at me and they tell me Oh, oh my God, you did time. It just, it doesn't look like it. Like, it doesn't have a face, you know? Like, it, it doesn't have a face. It's, it could be anyone. There's a lot of things that aren't addressed in prisons. There's a lot of issues. There's a lot of trauma that I feel like gets neglected that a person that 
went through that experience needs certain support. We don't need to be alienated and labeled and judged. And even we don't need to be discriminated against. You know, we don't need to be none of that because what happened was a decision was made or or not made. And we had to go through this system. And now that we're out on the other side, we're trying to just move forward. Right. We're all just trying to live our lives, all of us. So there there just needs to be compassion. There needs to be equality. There needs to be that support of meeting people where they are and where they're trying to go versus where they're where they're coming from. There's people with mental illness. There's people with addiction that need help and they're not getting the help they need. They're just getting incarcerated. So what about those people? We're not even talking about everyone that has criminal charges, violent charges. There's a lot of different issues at play. And so all of those people, they need support. These are people, you know? If you want to support Together We Bake, check out their website at www.togetherwebake.org. And most importantly, try out their cinnamon pecan granola, chocolate chip cookies, or fruit snacks. You can order them online. You'll have the opportunity to taste something absolutely delicious and at the same time, support women in need of a second chance. Remember to follow us on Twitter at 1in4podcast, all letters, no numbers, and follow us on Facebook. You can subscribe to this podcast via Apple iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts.